Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. This morning, we have a special treat for you guys, and I'm really excited. We have a team from Colorado Springs called Axe, and I want to introduce Bradley to you. Everybody say hi. And he's going to tell you a little bit about Axe. Give him a warm welcome. Come on. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, like you said, I'm Bradley. I'm from uh, Colorado Springs. I'm originally from Tennessee. We're the Antioch Center for Training and Sending, Axe Global Missions. And I'm here with my whole team, which uh, Shara is one of us. JJ, which you'll hear from in a minute. He's preaching for you this morning. And then my lovely fiance, Corbin, uh, is here as well. Uh, and we're, we're here promoting, we're here equipping. JJ is going to talk about evangelism this morning, the importance of it and everything like that. Um, and I'm supposed to like tell you about our school and our, our summer experience and stuff like that, but I really just kind of got messed up in worship, if, if you don't mind. So I'm, I'm going to just take a second, and I'm telling you about missions. I'm telling you about what, we, what we're doing. We, we do the ACT School, which is a five-month program where three months in Colorado Springs, you get to get to spend hours a day in prayer and you get to receive teaching and intense discipleship from incredible teachers and, and amazing sold out people. Or we have the summer experience, which we're going to show in a, the video in a moment, which is a three week experience in the summer where you get to go overseas and, and have a, have a short term missions experience. And I guess that's the best way to convey what that is to you. But honestly, and what I felt, I felt in my heart, I felt that, that scripture, you know, in Isaiah where, where God it commands them to expand their tents. I really felt for this church that God's expanding your tents. And I feel specifically for those, we, we do this for 18 to 29 year olds. And, and, and there's this, this discontentment in that age. I know because I'm, I'm 23. So you kind of... I got the experience of it. But we go and we do missions. We, we do missions in the 1040 window, share the gospel with unreached people groups, people that have, ne- have no access to the gospel at all, which is the need, the reason, the purpose behind it. But an amazing reason that we do this, and I feel this specifically for certain people in here, is that you are ready for your next yes, your next acts, act of obedience to God. And I feel through this, yes, through a simple summer experience, through a simple school in Colorado Springs that allows you to be equipped and trained and go overseas, become a long-term missionary in the 1040 window. I feel more so than it's just for the sake of the loss, which it is, but God wants to encounter you. And through your yes, through finding him, maybe in a, in a three-week trip overseas, God wants to meet you atop the Himalayas. Or God wants to meet you in the Middle East. God wants to meet you in mosques and Buddhist temples where he is not receiving the worship that he deserves. And he wants to encounter you there. So after the service, we're going to be back by the booth. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. To to get to go overseas because we're not here promoting a ministry we're here so the lamb would receive the reward of his suffering. We're here for the glory of God and we're here to, see, to just let you know, hey, this is an opportunity. This is your chance to encounter God and glorify him in the nations where he's not being glorified. 
So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to show this video. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you for your resting here. I thank you for your presence, God. I thank you for your goodness. And again, I just come with full gratitude for this people, Lord. God, I thank you that they're an apostolic people. I thank you that they're a people of peace. I thank you for their heart for the kingdom. We love you, Jesus. We thank you again. Amen. Amen, amen. Thanks for clapping for our video. That means you're going to clap a lot for me, right? Amen? Woo, I like that. People are getting excited over there. You don't even know what I'm going to say. You shouldn't get so excited. My name is Jeremy Jacobs. I also work with Axe based out of Colorado Springs. Just, just to make you feel more at home with me, I'm a fellow Kansan. I grew up in Scott City, way out in southwest Kansas where the wind blows and it smells like cow poop. So a round of applause for that. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. You know, it's, it's funny to me, the long journey that my wife and I and our five kids have been on. Um, but back in, gosh, 2002 or so, we were in Manhattan, Kansas. We were finishing up at K-State, married, didn't have any babies yet. And we got introduced to this thing called the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. How many of you have heard of them? We walked in there for the first time in little, little trailers that with just smelly carpet, and it was the weirdest place. And I encountered God for the first time like I had never encountered him. I was saved, but I had grown up Catholic and just didn't even know it was legal to experience the presence of God. And I did, and I just laid on the ground and cried for like two hours. It was the, the strangest and most wonderful thing. And, and ever since that point, I mean, the trajectory of our life has just taken off in a way different direction than I ever thought. Um, but, but about six years ago, in 2013, the Lord had really been speaking to us as we were in IHOP at Kansas City. The Lord had really been speaking to us about missions, and, and my heart was beginning to become very aware of the lost around me in our neighborhood in Grandview, Missouri, and I was kind of starting to just venture out and be a little bit more forthright in sharing my faith. Part of the reason for that was, I remember a day when I sat in that prayer room and I was reading the scriptures, I actually, I think I opened to Matthew 28, you know, the, the Great Commission verses, and I read them for the, you know, thousandth time or whatever it actually was, and I suddenly got hit with the reality that I spend dozens of hours a week in prayer, ministering to God, praying for the lost, praying for revival, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I realized I love Jesus more than I even knew I could, and he's the best-kept secret in my life. I don't tell anyone about him. And I got so convicted in that moment, and I thought, man, you don't get, you don't get moments like that in your heart for free. You know, like you have to respond to those things. And so I began to respond in little ways, and within about a year... I was sitting in a leader's office at IHOP and a man named Brian Kim, he comes walking through the door and he had just heard me say, I don't know what my next assignment is here in the ministry. And he says, I have a job for you. And I said, I don't even know who you are or what you do. And he said, well, that's great. Here's what we do. And, and, and as I talked with Brian, you know what I learned from him. And it's weird because this is 2013 and I'm hearing for the first time in a real succinct way that there's about 3 billion people in the earth, about 40% of the earth's population that really doesn't have access to a missionary, a church, a Bible, even a Christian. And that was a little stunning to me, if I'm honest. 
as a Western Kansas boy who, you know, in a town of 3,000, we have like 19 churches. And I thought, how does that even work? But it provoked me and it compelled me and I knew that the Lord was speaking about missions. And so, so we joined up. I remember the wrestle in our hearts as I talked to my wife about, about joining Acts and then as even as we had to uproot our family and leave Kansas City to go to Colorado Springs, I said, let's just ask Jesus to direct us in whichever direction would give him the most glory in our lives. And actually, you know, there was no profound moment, but that, that underlying theme of just asking Jesus how we could give him the most glory, that really has been one of the major themes over these last six years or so as we've been ministering with Acts. And so I tell you all of that just so that you get to know me a little bit and so that you get to know Acts a little bit. Um, but actually, I have a couple of things I want to talk to you guys about from the Word this morning. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about boldness. And specifically, I want to talk about Elijah the prophet. Just to, 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 to backtrack in my own thinking a little bit, um, I feel profoundly impressed over the last several months after a trip to Israel, a mission trip to Israel, I have felt impressed by the Lord over the, the, the story of Elijah and specifically over the phrase used in Luke chapter 1 that John the Baptist would go forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And as I'm examining my own life and the ministry that I'm in, as we're continually talking to people about missions and about sharing their faith and about people who don't even have access to the gospel, I think, yeah, right, but what about Colorado Springs and what about me? You know? What about Wichita, Kansas? What about Scott City, Kansas, where I'm from? What about right here in our own front yards? How does that work out if I'm, if I'm telling people all the time, you should do missions, but I don't do missions where missions is most important, right, in my own sphere of influence. And I'm continually provoked by that. And then, you know, being here last night uh, with the, the equip crew, Sam McVeigh and the guys up at Christ Church, I just felt, man, what an amazing group of people that are hungry for God and then meeting with Matt staying at his house last night and, and interacting with Jacob Hall and hearing the heartbeat of this church I realized there's something going on here there's something unique about Reliance Church there's something unique even maybe about the timing that we're here and it feels like that spirit of Elijah word is just kind of boiling over in me right now and I think that that maybe we're in a season of time maybe this church this congregation is in a season of time where you've cultivated a culture of prayer in your midst you've got spiritual hunger in your midst you have good leaders and people are coming. I mean, this room is packed out right now. And I know from Jacob and from Matt and from others that this church doesn't really care about being slick or about being programmed or about being one of the best churches in Wichita. They really just care about exalting Jesus and seeing their people walk in that. And I think, what a unique situation. It's like God wants to move you. It's, and I'm not telling, talking about actual location move, but he wants to, to mobilize you. I feel like he's saying it's okay to act right now. Like you've been acting in the way of, of going deep in God. And you're devoted. And you're hungry. And you're in love. And you've put some disciplines in your life that are good. 
And just like me, back in those days in Kansas City, maybe you're in a season where you're going, God, I love you better than I even knew I could. And God's going, great, because I don't want to be kept a secret in your life. I don't want to be kept a secret in this neighborhood. And I think that, that there's something of the spirit of Elijah in that, right? Where it's, it's actually the work of the Holy Spirit that works, you know, in Elijah's day, it was through a man. But in our day, in this church, it's through a, a, a body, through a congregation. And by the way, it's not just you. It's several churches and other leaders and things. I think you know that. But I think God is going, hey, I want to move you from your church, from your wonderful church buildings and, and everything that's going on here. I want to make sure that your bold witnesses for me in the workplace, in the classroom, in the hallways in your schools. I want to make sure that you're thinking about the loss when you're walking through the mall, when you're walking through the grocery store, when you're interacting with all the lost people that you're surrounded by in your daily lives. But I also know that if you're anything like me, that doesn't come as naturally and easily as we would hope. I mean, it's, a, it's a continual wrestle for me. It's a frustration for me, if I'm honest. I think about the boldness of our, of our missionaries on the field in places where it's not easy to share the gospel, and I think, man, I'm a wimp compared to them. And they're in their 20s. I'm 40. I'm losing my hair. It's too late for me. Like, I got to hurry up, get bold, get some, some evangelism going on in my life. But so I want to talk this morning then about that prophet Elijah and the spirit of boldness that he walked in. Because if you remember him, and by the way, if you got your Bible, you can open to 1 Kings chapter 17. But suddenly, out of, out of the middle of a, a crisis in the northern kingdom of Israel, after four evil kings in a row have reigned, and the fifth one comes along, and his name is Ahab, and he is, the Bible says that he's more evil than all of them, by the way, and he married a lady named Jezebel, and Jezebel was maybe even more wicked in her heart than Ahab, because she said, hey, let's bring a false worship movement into Israel. And let's get all the Israelites worshiping false gods. And Ahab should have went ding, 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 red flag because the second and third commandments are that you're not to have any other gods and not to worship idols. And Ahab says, cool, I'm down with that. I'll be under your spell and you can bring all of Israel under, under that spell too. And so Baal worship and Asherah worship runs rampant in the north of Israel. And they're, they're sacrificing babies on flaming altars before Baal. And they're, they're committing gross, sexually immoral sins in public as worship before Asherah. And everybody's condoning it. And the whole culture is going in that generation going, sure, why not? Sounds good to me. Yeah, I think Yahweh said something about not doing that, but I mean, you know, if Ahab says it's okay, we got to go with the king, right? Wrong. Amen. Wrong. And in the midst of that, all of a sudden, Elijah pops up, and he says, hey, King Ahab, guess what? You're evil. You're wicked. God's about to judge. I'm bringing a drought and famine to the land. It's weird that Elijah says it, but he says, the rain won't come except at my word. 
I want to be like that. I want to be God's friend in that way that he, God says, whenever you decide is when the rain can come. That'd be cool. Probably shouldn't be entrusted with that right now, actually, as I think about it. I want the rain to come today. But anyway, so Elijah walks in, confronts the king. The king could snuff him out in a second. The king could say, hey, guys, kill him. I don't like him. I don't like his message. And the king doesn't for whatever reason. Elijah mic drops, walks away, walks out of the the throne room, gets carried away for about three years. He lives his life for a while at the river Kareth and gets gets fed by ravens. It says that meat and bread are brought to him, but ravens' beaks are small, and so I'm not sure what those those meals were like. I'm guessing they were not that great. It was not Kansas beef, right? So... He lives for a while by the river Kareth, getting fed by ravens, and then he gets sent by God to a, a little town called Zarephath that's actually in, in Syria, and he lives with a lady that's not a believer and, and her son, and he makes sure that she's supernaturally provided for. And finally, after those things happen, after three years, God visits Elijah again. I don't know how he heard it, but he heard the Lord say, hey, Elijah, it's time to go have another showdown. With Ahab. I mean, if I've done it one time with Ahab, I'm thinking, I'm doing really good that I didn't die. I think I'm done. Like, I just want to check that one off the box, confronted an evil king, and now I don't have to do that for God again. And God says, no, 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 you're the guy. I want you to muster up that boldness again, and I need you to go to Ahab, and I need you to tell Ahab, hey, let's have a showdown. Gather all those prophets, those false prophets of Baal, And let's go to Mount Carmel. And by the way, let's get all of Israel that you've been leading astray. And let's get them to come watch. Because I'm about to show who's really God. Jehovah, the one true God. Or Baal, the demonic false God. Right? And so if you know the story, everybody gathers. Ahab does a good job of of conference promotion. And he gets everybody to Mount Carmel. Like a lot of people. And they're all watching. And if I'm thinking about myself being Elijah right now, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I would be so intimidated. But it's like it's too late because everybody's at the conference. So it's not like, hey, everybody just go home. Like everybody's there. And everything is on the line for Elijah. Doesn't even matter what his reputation is anymore. Now God's reputation is on the line because he claims to be coming in the name of the one true God. And so he's, he's on Mount Carmel and he gets a, a, an altar built and the prophets of Baal, they start to do their thing. And of course we know that, you know, they hoot and holler, they cut themselves, they're doing grotesque things, trying to get Baal to send fire down from heaven and consume the offering. And it doesn't come. And Elijah's like sitting back. This is kind of funny to me, but Elijah's sitting back and he's like, I don't know. If you read it, it actually says, it says, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Baal's relieving himself. Maybe he went on a trip, guys. This is ridiculous. Let me know when you're done. And, 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 and they get done. Nothing happens, obviously. And then Elijah, he calls the, the people together. And he says to the Israelites, to his own people, he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer. And I think in our day and age, we have a similar message 
to our neighbor, our unsafe family members, or whoever. We say, hey, if it's true that really what's important to you and what you want to worship in your life are the unfilling lesser loves of Netflix and Amazon Prime and I don't know what else, like media and smartphones and good food and vacations or, or whatever it may be, whatever your vice is, whatever their vice is, great, go ahead and follow them, but I'm telling you it's entirely unfulfilling. And you're actually bewitched in your mind because if you think about it, most of our friends that are unsaved, they have no convictions, and so they're actually going the way of the culture which says, hey, if you want to wake up this morning and choose to be a man, be a man. If you want to be a woman this morning, be a woman. I mean, we're actually talking about that within our culture as though it's just perfectly normal and acceptable. I mean, I'm watching shows with my kids on Netflix and having to shut them off because I was like, I used to think this movie was awesome, but now there's all these gay characters in the movies. What's going on? They're trying to normalize homosexuality. kind of sounds like Asherah worship. Like they're just trying to make sexual immorality normal. and Make us just feel really good about it. Right? It's kind of like in Elijah's day. And he's going, quit wavering. Like if you're a Christian or a backslidden Christian, or maybe you grew up Catholic and just never got it, or you grew up Protestant and never got it, no problem. But you need to choose whether you're going to follow everybody else or whether you want to follow God, whether you want to follow my Jesus. And let me tell you, he's far more fulfilling. He's the, the well that never runs dry, the well of love that never runs dry. But, but we, we have to be like Elijah and say, hey, there really is a line. You can't just straddle it. You can't. Our culture wants us to say it that way. If you want to worship Jesus, that's fine. If you want to worship the Hindu gods, that's fine too. Hey, every, every truth is relative. Just, you know, pick your way and believe it, bro. You know? And I just think, well, oh, that's really not biblical teaching. That's not a biblical worldview even a little bit. We, as a, as a, as a believer in the 21st century in America, we have to come against the mindset that says, I'll just do what I want. I'll just self-style Christianity for myself. You know how many Christians, how many people are running around in America saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and they don't even care about Jesus? They don't even know what the Great Commission is or where to find it? There's a Barna study about that. 51% of American Christians don't even know what the words of the Great Commission are, and they were staring right at them and couldn't identify them. We're in a dire place. We're in a dire place. And Elijah says to the people, just like we should be, he says, he says, how long will you waver between those two opinions? Which God will you serve? And of course, we know the story then that the fire falls from heaven after Elijah prays. And the Israelites go, whoa. Elijah is a man of God, and he had the word of God in his mouth. And I think in that day, there were a lot of souls that were saved. There were a lot of hearts that were turned back to God. I think it's true. If it weren't for Elijah, maybe an entire generation of Israelites would have perished. Maybe there wouldn't even be an Israel today if, if it weren't for the fact that Elijah called a remnant forth out of that nation and said, you got to get your heart turned back to God. The boldness of that man, though. How many of you would stand in front of a, let's just say, let's just do it this way. How many of you would stand up in the food court at the mall 
y'all hate me right now. We actually had a guy from our act school. We don't condone this as though it's a must, but we had a guy from our act school do it in the mall in Colorado Springs. He was terrified. People came up to him afterwards and said, hey, can we talk to you about your beliefs in Jesus? They were sincere. They were actually moved by him standing up on a chair in the food court in the mall. How many of you want to do that? Let's go do it afterwards. Yeah, these guys, bold ones on the front. Come on. Thank you, Lord. But Elijah was bold in the face of danger, in the face of losing his life. And he saw the people of Israel turn back to him. I love the prayer that Elijah prayed. And after I talk about this, I want to make a couple of points. But verse 36 of chapter 18, it says, At the time of the offering, this is right before the fire falls, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, He's praying in front of the people. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell. And I think... As I think about that passage, I think, wow, like the vulnerability of Elijah in that moment, you know what he felt? Like nothing. He knew he could not generate fire from heaven, right? Anybody in the room that says, oh yeah, I can get fire to just supernaturally manifest? Okay, pray for me if you can. But but Elijah, he, he, he knew there was no chance that he could make that happen. And yet he didn't relent. He didn't bug out. He didn't say, hey, conference canceled, everybody go home. He just probably got down on his knees and he's probably like, God! And he was yelling, God! Because this people needs to turn back to you. And he's probably yelling and everybody can hear him and they're going, Elijah is so toast if, if this does not work out. But in the anguish of his prayer, God hears him and God glorifies himself. Right? I know that this Elijah example is, it feels like just a hundred times greater and way outside of anything that we see ourselves possibly doing except for the fact that it's really not if you think about it, if you think about it, we've got lost neighbors and lost family members all around us and every interaction that we have with them over the gospel, it could possibly go sour. And when it goes sour, you know, we were just actually in Omaha, Nebraska just a few days ago and we were talking with kids about this at a Christian school and every one of them went, yeah, but it's just hard because what if my friend doesn't like me anymore? What if it ruins the relationship? And I'm not pro uh, the, the ruining of relationships, and I don't think Jesus is either. But which relationship matters most to you? Relationship to people? You're trying to make everybody happy and keep everybody from being upset at you? Or do you want to stand before the Most High God? 
and put a smile on his face? Where does your allegiance truly lie? What is most important to you? And I think that that reality, it confronts me, and it probably confronts you. And so there's a few things that as I look about, at, if I look at, excuse me, if I look at Elijah's life, I think, wow, okay, I want to cultivate those, those same realities that he did. And so I got three points here, just coming out of this Elijah story. The first thing I want to draw attention to, 1 Kings 17, 1 through 2. You guys are doing so good at getting those scriptures up. You got me. Thank you. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, here's the best part, before whom I stand. How many of you woke up this morning and said, I stand before the Most High God? Like he's on the third throne in the, uh, the thir- he's on the throne in the in the highest of heavens. Jesus is at his right hand, praying for me, forever living to make intercession, because the scripture says that's what he does. And as far as he's concerned, he looks at me and it's as if I'm right in front of him. He's looking at me in my life right now, and I'm looking back. Right? But this is 1 Kings 17.1, and so Elijah is standing in front of an evil, demonically inspired king who would kill him if he had the chance, and he goes, I stand before God. I don't know who this guy is. I'm just obeying God right now. I don't care if he could snuff out my life because I stand before God. Do you know what that means for you in your, 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 the reality of your life right now? Do you know how he feels about you? I mean, I could go into an intimacy message right now and that would be good, but I'm just thinking about it differently. I'm thinking about Hebrews chapter 10 when it says, it says that we get to approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence. I'm preaching in a room full of people, but what I really better be thinking is I'm standing and I'm quoting Scripture, the words of the Most High God. And he says, it's fine. Be as bold as you want. You're my son. I don't even care if you say it wrong. I just want to see you be bold. Go ahead, mess it up. My words still stand, but boldness is infectious. And people that stand before God and they have that posture and that confidence in their lives, in the love of God and in the cross of Christ, they live different. Don't they? I mean, think about this morning or or sometime this week when you were super discouraged. You weren't thinking about how God is peering at your life and you actually stand boldly and confidently as a son before him. You were thinking, man, I'm beaten down. I stink. Somebody said something that discouraged you. And that image, that reality went to the back of your mind. It went out of your mind altogether. If we live from that reality, the reality that Elijah lived in, the reality that's spoken of in Hebrews chapter 10, it would change everything. Nobody could stop you from talking about Jesus. Nobody could stop you from talking about the one you love. Nobody could argue with you. It wouldn't even matter if they did. If they said, I don't believe anything in the Bible. It's all a bunch of rubbish. That's fine if you believe that. I stand before the one true God, maker of heaven and earth. That's what I know right now. Your opinion doesn't move me. Sure, 
I'll open the scriptures and study it out with you. I'll help lead you unto truth, but your opinion doesn't move me. And how many of us are scared to open up our mouths? Because what if they argue with us? What if they differ in their opinion? Of course they differ in their opinion. Like there's like a thousand different opinions about God in the room right now. We don't shrink back just because someone says, oh, I disagree on that verse, or I don't think that Jesus actually died on the cross, or whatever. Because we stand before the one true God. Right? And our place before him, it gives us access to him, and it changes everything about the way that we relate to people and to our circumstances. That's the first point. Our standing before God. The second point. Elijah loved people. He loved the lost. He shared God's burden for the lost. First Kings eighteen thirty six through thirty seven. It's that prayer that he prayed, and Elijah says, "Hear me, Lord, hear me, so that this people may know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back." to you man Elijah he, he, he felt God's heart for those people he loved them I mean he loved them they were his countrymen right it'd be like standing before your entire family of unbelievers that are going completely astray and you're weeping over them because they're your family and because they're just doing the wrong thing and it's ruining their lives. Elijah felt that. But even further than that, he felt the divine heartbeat of God that said, those people of mine, they're my people. And I love them. And I hate how sin is destroying their lives. And Elijah had a deep heart for them. I think it, it probably started somewhere in those, those wacky three years in the desert. Right? Probably when he, he went to that Syrian lady and she said, who in the heck are you? And he said, feed me food. And she goes, I don't even have any. And by the way, who are you again? And then he proves it. And, he, and, and God starts multiplying the, the oil and the flour. I think he gets to know her at that point. And then you actually find out later in that story that her son dies. And that when the son dies, she comes before Elijah and she goes, are you just here to remind me of my sins? And Elijah's going, no, I didn't even know about your sins. Why are you judging me, she's saying. It's kind of the accusation in our generation. And Elijah says, give me that boy. And he takes him upstairs, puts him on the bed, stretches himself out over the boy three times until God breathes life back into him. And then he carries the boy back down to the widow. And he says, here's your son. Here's how God feels about you. He's not trying to judge you with my presence. He's trying to bless you with my presence. And I think Elijah, as he was praying over that kid, he was going, this guy's like my son. You know, some scholars think that it might have been Elisha. Some people think that it might have been Elisha that he, he, he raised from the dead and took as his own son. I don't know. But Elijah carried a heart for the lost. He saw a person and he deeply cared. Remember Romans 9, 1, Paul's talking about Israel, and he says, I have unceasing grief. I don't ever stop grieving. 
I regularly cry over the lost sheep of the nation of Israel. I want that. A couple weeks ago, I had a dream, and in the dream, a leader in the kind of the, the prayer movement world, he walked up to me in our prayer room. We have a prayer room in Colorado Springs, and he walked up to me in the dream, and he says, you're fasting. And I said, yeah, in the dream, I said, yeah. He said, then you're going to get the burden for souls. And I woke up and I thought, dang it, I've got to fast. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, Lord? If it causes me to weep over the souls of men, it's worth it. Man, I can give him so much glory if I just, I just had something going on in my heart besides busyness. You know? But I need him to override my busyness and my thought processes and, and that, that my emotions, my heart would begin to, to, to turn toward him and then he would cause my heart to burn for the lost. Elijah had that going. I think we can get that. I think we can get that in our generation. And I think we can get it for our neighbors, for our neighborhoods, for Wichita. And the last point that I'll make about Elijah and his ministry is that he had an unyielding obedience to God, even in the face of conflict. You know, Jesus says in, in John, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Right? And if, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then sometimes the Holy Spirit talks to you, right? Probably talks to us more often than we realize. And whether it's in small things, like, I don't know what, can't think of a good example right now, but whether it's in small things or whether it's in, hey, remember your stepbrother, so-and-so, he's struggling today, call him up. And in the back, in your mind you think, that's silly, that's not God, God wouldn't use me in that way. And you're being disobedient. You know, you're not... God's not casting you out of your salvation by any means, but you're being disobedient, and the Holy Spirit is going, man, I want to entrust you with so much. Just call your stepbrother. Come on, man, do it. You don't even get along anyway. What's the worst that can happen? Right? But we have to learn to obey God and to obey the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the truest to me, especially in the face of conflict, that's one of the truest demonstrations of spirit-filled obedience to God is when it could go bad for you and you go, I don't care. I love him and I love to obey him and I love people and I want to see them saved. And we have to be a people that love obedience. To me, living an obedient life, you know what it really is? It's living a consecrated life. It says in 1 Peter 2.9 that we're to be a priestly people, and when I think what a priesthood means, it's a people that are actually set apart from all of the other stuff going on in the world, and our standing is changed. We are priests before God. But there's an element of, of, of obedient, holy living that that entails. Does, it means that you will for sure suffer conflict. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. They will hate you because of me. Quit running from it. It's bound to happen. Right? I'm from Kansas. I'm from a small town in Kansas. I know that at times, opening your mouth seems like, gosh, 
my family's going to hear. People are going to talk bad. They're going to say weird things about me. And at some point, we just got to say, you know what? Obeying Jesus is worth it. If it's the difference between someone being saved or being not, I got to go with the person being saved. Who cares about my comfort? We all do. Who cares about potential conflict? Though we do. But, the, but, but if we want to be bold, like the boldness that we have in our standing before God, we just have to say, look, fear doesn't matter. I'm going to overcome my fear by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of my testimony. And I'm just going to open my mouth and I'm going to do it. And so I just want to submit to you guys today, what would it look like if Reliance Church was a bold church like Elijah? What if every person in this room, if they said, I'm going to step forward and begin to share Jesus in my community? I think it would look like a revival. People talk about revival. What in the world does that look like even? It looks like souls being saved in a lot of them. What would it look like if everyone in this room told one person this week about Jesus? How many new people would be, that you'd have to like open the doors and put it, make an overflow out there if we just opened up our mouth? What would it look like by the end of the month after that outreach that you guys do here in the city, the Goddard thing that you guys were talking about earlier? What would it look like if we just opened up our mouths? But I'm telling you, boldness looks like opening your mouth. It really does. Boldness is not talking about the Chiefs game. Boldness is talking about Jesus. And so I just want to pray for us that we would walk in the same boldness as Elijah. So Father, we just ask you to come. You anointed Elijah with your Holy Spirit in such a way that he overcame fear. You anointed Elijah in such a way that he didn't bow before conflict or evil kings. And you gripped him with your own love for people. And so God, I ask you that you do that in our hearts today. Do it in our hearts today, God, that when we walk out of here, that what, no matter what we feel, we would just say, oh, there's someone in my life that I need to share the gospel with, regardless of how, how hard or awkward it may be. God, would you put names and faces of people in our hearts right now, in Jesus' name? Remind us right now. Remind us of the person's name right now. In Jesus' name, we ask you that you would put someone on our heart that we can pray for and preach the gospel to, that by the end of this month, they would hear it from our mouths. And by the way, I just, I was impressed by this in worship, and I just keep getting reminded of it as I, as I, as I talk here. But I just also, I want to pray a prayer over the men in this room. I think there's a lot of men in this room who, uh, you're under the pressure of keeping your career a certain way so that you can take care of your family, and that's honorable and godly, but it's also, it's also sucking the life out of your soul. It's also killing your vibrancy in God. 
And so if that's you, just hold out your hands before God because I think the God wants, that God wants to impart something to you right now, some level of boldness to you. He actually wants to break a, a lie off of your life. I think some of you are actually de- depressed and very discouraged as men. So just hold out your hands. God, we ask you in Jesus' name to blow right now into the hearts of these men with fire. God, remove discouragement and remove the lies of the evil one in Jesus' name. And I pray that they would dream dreams again in God. I pray that their faith would be stoked again, God. I just feel like for some of you, you're saying, I just need an escape hatch. And if you pray for it, God says, I'm going to give you the escape hatch. I'll give you a different career. I'll give you a different job. I'll change your circumstances. Just ask of me and believe that I can do it. So if that's you, just say, God, would you do that for me? Jesus, we thank you that you're lover of our souls and deliverer. We bless you for our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are encouraged this morning? Amen. Uh, you know, I touched base with Jeremy earlier in the week, and we had a phone call, and, and he just said, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just want to be, I want to concede to the Spirit's leading. I don't know. Where, where do you guys feel like you're at? And just, I love the heart of the gospel that we truly are family under the umbrella and the the supremacy of Jesus. Amen. And seeing the ministry that these guys are doing is encouraging. But church, I believe that this is a message for today. Over the last few years, we've been seeing the culture of reliance change. And it's less about four walls of a church, and it's about this kingdom partnering with the heart of God, downloading the heart of God, being burdened for our community, for the lost to come to know the hope of Jesus. Come on, amen? That's why we exist. That we could come together, be encouraged, celebrate the goodness of God, come from this place, and go out. Because you have different spheres of influences than me. Over the last couple weeks, I've been burdened. I've been waking up at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and I'm going, God, why every single night am I waking up? So I've been getting up, and I, I put it past, like maybe I just drank too much Pepsi before I went to bed or something. And God just keeps burdening with these schools that are literally outside my window. And I get up in the morning at 6 a.m. and I hear the band practicing. And, and here's what's happening, church. I've been, I've been, my, my role at Reliance has changed. I've served this body for 12 years and I've been just so encouraged and blessed by serving as the youth pastor. But I've always prayed this, God, let me raise up a student that is hungry and take my place. I've been blessed with Jacob Hall and getting to do ministry with him. He's been taking over Wednesdays and becoming this youth pastor, seeing him just flourish in this truth of speaking kingdom identity has been awesome. And this whole time, I've been kind of wrestling with God, where, where does this leave me? This is my norm. This is my comfort. This is where I'm at. I've been more burdened for students over the last month than I ever have in my entire life. You want to know why? Because I want to see a generation fall in love and let the reward of his suffering be the presence of God in a relationship with God capturing the hearts of students and so I'm waking up at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning and I'm just praying for these schools and what's crazy is God gives me these names for students to go out and reach I've never even met them in my life I'm like God why is this name popping up in my head I truly believe because we're burdened 
Last Thursday, we're in this room over here, and we have a time of intercession and praying for our city, praying for community. And I'll tell you what, God wrecks me this Thursday. We're sitting there, and all of a sudden, we're praying for the urgency of the gospel, the message of Christ to go forth. And I am broken. I begin to just, man, I'm weeping. I can feel the tears falling down my face. And Ryan begins to play the song we're about to sing, and it says, Hallelujah, the bridegroom is coming. Hallelujah, our God reigns. And this is the revelation that happens in this moment. Matt, this isn't a song that you're singing. This is a promise. I am coming, and be ready. Your bridegroom is coming for the reward for its inheritance. I want my people. Be burdened. Don't be distracted. Don't get off course. You were made with a kingdom assignment. Operate from the place of first loving me and knowing who you are in that. And the overflow is us being a mouthpiece for the gospel. Church, I truly believe that we are shifting as a, as a body of Christ, not for the four walls of reliance, because Wichita needs the message of Jesus. And I'm thankful for the boldness that you guys brought forth today. I believe it is a tipping point for us. Will your conversation be about Jesus this week or, or the Chiefs? I'm not saying that those things are, are wrong, but how much more important is the one who we have eternity and salvation in? We have a generation up here the hardest mission field, truly one of the hardest mission fields we can ever grab a hold of is this, a generation that doesn't even think they need a savior. They have everything they want, they have everything they need, and they've heard about the message of Christ their whole life, but they've heard about him and they don't know him. We have to be burdened for that, and it takes teaching and living and walking the message of Christ. For we are commissioned in the good news. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. Amen? So this is what we're going to do. Jeremy just prayed that maybe God would give you a name. Yes, we're going long. We always do. Who cares? Here's, here's what I love. I'm asking, God, would you give us names? Literally, give us names. God, would you open our spiritual eyes? God, for the burden that you have for the ones that we encounter every single day. God, we are praying for opportunities for the just to be a vessel of your love, the mouthpiece of Jesus, and introducing people to the hope of the world. God, I'm just asking right now that you would just begin to literally just give names. That God, as we begin to worship, that you would just open our eyes. And God, just make us more aware. Give us your heart today, God. Give us your eyes today. Let us see and hear and operate as you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.